Hey folks, welcome back to the Wild Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Ayers. And in this podcast, we want to share mentorship to learn how to hunt, fish, and gather wild food. Our goal is to reduce barriers and create an inclusive and welcoming community for all folks who want to learn how to eat wild. So join us as we share stories, ethics, adventures, and knowledge about a way of life that's rooted in eating wild. Welcome back to the Eat Wild Podcast. Thanks for joining me. Now, this is a podcast I've been thinking about doing for a while. And what I want to talk about is the applications and the technology that's available to you in your phone to help you navigate and understand terrain and be able to essentially be a better hunter, be a more effective hunter, do a better job of researching um, in addition to other applications that are really making hunting much, much different than when I grew up hunting without these available technologies. So I'm joined by my friend, Adam Prospachil. We're on a mule deer hunt late season in the grasslands looking for mature mule deer bucks. And we've got some uh, long evenings to fill up. So we broke out the podcast machine. Now, Adam and I actually tried to record this podcast many years ago. And one of the things I, I, I really appreciate about Adam's approach to hunting, he's a relatively new hunter and he's been very successful. Now, he has really approached hunting with research first mentality and really done a cool job of you know figuring out where and how to hunt using e-scouting techniques and a lot of which the foundation of which is in the phone so we're going to talk a lot about what his preferred applications are and the technologies that he uses on his hunting program so that's going to be a lot of fun now what can i tell you about oh so this was recorded some at some point during our mule deer trip if you stick around to the end of our conversation i'll i'll wrap this podcast up with what happened after we recorded this session and I think it's worthwhile because a lot of the stuff that we talk about actually is very relevant in the hunt that we ended up having the day after we recorded this, which I'll share with you at the end. So some news and stuff that we should be talking about. I should take this opportunity to tell you what we're up to in the next few months here with Eat Wild. Of course, um, we're probably going to drop this sometime after Christmas. We'll have a full schedule of cool stuff to do to fill up those long winter nights, such as our Eat Wild cooking workshops, our sausage making workshops are coming back. Um, so you can come have a date night in February if you want and make a bunch of sausage with someone you um, care about there around Valentine's Day. And we're also doing our, our wild game, like how to cook wild game workshops. And those are in-person events. Um, it's all hands-on fun stuff. And uh, really at the, the core of it, just teaching folks how to make the best out of their harvest from the season. Of course, we have our monthly butchering workshops on the schedule. And we got a couple of big workshops coming up for the spring you can look ahead to. One is we've just dropped our first bow hunting workshop. That's going to be with uh, our friend Adam Foss, who's a a uh, very accomplished and knowledgeable and just a uh, knowledgeable archery hunter as well as just an all-around great person to hang out with and, and a great teacher. So we're, 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 we're partnering with Adam to deliver our archery hunting workshop. We've also got 
a date for our pack rafting workshop with Cam Fenton. Uh, and uh, that's going to be at the end of April. And if you're looking ahead to May, we're going to be doing our three-day hunter field skills workshop. And we're going to try and fit in a morel hunting workshop as well. So lots of stuff to look ahead to. And um, yeah, and if you're listening to this, you know that we are supported by the Seek Outside folks. And they make these amazing tents uh, that have a wood stove in them. So it's like a teepee tent with a wood stove inside. They're ultra light that you can backpack them. And really where they shine is exactly in this situation that we're in, where you're hunting late season, you've got short days, long nights, so that means lots of tent time. It's too cold really to sit around the fire outside. So it's so nice to be able to be inside of a tent next to a wood stove, have enough room that you can hang out for a few hours at a time and sit around the podcast machine and tell stories. Um, so it's a great, great, they're kind of a game changer, particularly for this late season hunting. So you check out their Seek Outside tents. And if you do want to make a purchase, you can, or if you want to know more, just reach, reach out to me directly. Uh, they're a pretty big investment for these tents. So it's important that you get the right one for you. And I'm happy to talk about their tents. I've used most of them now. And um, yeah, they've been pretty cool, pretty cool game changer for, for my program for sure. Another game changer for me has been the uh, West Coast Kitchen Canada. It's, it's um, the freeze-dried food in a bag, ready for your adventure. And what they do better than anybody, they make actual high-quality gourmet food and put it in a bag so that it nourishes you on your adventure. It doesn't wear you down like some of the other um, high-sodium, uh, poor-quality food that is an option um, with some other folks. So definitely check either of those out. If you do want to make the purchase, uh, go to their website. Use Eat Wild as your discount code. You'll get a bit of a deal, uh, both of which are worth checking out. All right, well, don't forget, after this episode, I'll come back in and I'll tell you about the hunt we had. So enjoy this one. Take a few notes. This is a lot of fun. And thanks, Adam, for coming on. Hey, Adam, welcome back to the Well Podcast. Thanks for having me, Dylan. So we, this is, uh, so we tried to do this. I don't know, years ago now, maybe like we tried having a conversation on the podcast machine early on in the early days of the well podcast. Um, and we wanted to talk about like phone tech and you came over for dinner, we had a nice dinner together. And then we, we had this like really good conversation around, you know, the, the apps that you can put on your phone and, um, and then the different technologies that are available and their uses. And we had a great conversation and we recorded it. And for whatever reason, the recording didn't work and that was kind of you know par for the course early days of be wild podcast so things are much improved now we've got a much better setup we're in the field recording and uh we're on a mule deer hunt so we got a bit of time um, late season mule deer hunt and uh long long nights and short days and here we are day two so um maybe just a quick introduction how, how do you know eat wild and how do you know me and um and uh, what's your background on hunting yeah, for sure. So, um, I guess we met originally through one of your, one of your workshops way back in the day, but I don't even know how far back that goes. Maybe, maybe going back six years now or so. Um, we did a butchering workshop together and then turned out, we found out we were neighbors. So we we're just hanging out in the hood and having dinners together and beers and, and, uh, yeah, managed to make it on a hunt together this year, which is great. So yeah, excited to chat through this. So one of the, so as an introduction to, to Adam, Adam's a, a relatively new hunter. How, how many years have you been hunting? Uh, I guess 12 ish years now. Yeah. So, I mean, to me, that's still a pretty new hunter and, and the, I mean, I think I've been doing eat well for about 
10 or 12 years now and it's interesting to see the progression of folks in terms of their success as hunting but since i've known you you've kind of had a few things figured out that you've been a highly successful relatively new hunter and um so it's interesting and, and you've been on your and you're and i think one of the reasons why you're a very successful hunter is the amount of research and that you do into um the different information that's out there that can help improve your hunt and uh so i think that's what makes I, i'm kind of excited excited to have this conversation with you because even as someone who's like you know I, i've been i i'm always learning some new stuff from you because you're you're kind of at the forefront of the information and technology that's out there you're kind of digging in whereas i'm i guess i don't want to say set in my ways but um i mean i'm open to new technology when it comes along but you know i've got a lot of stuff that's worked well for me but there's a lot of things that have even since we had that conversation three years ago it's actually that conversation would be kind of um uh it's kind of it's kind of a moot point now because so much of the tech has changed in terms of the applications on our phone so so this is what this is about is um well yeah basically what sort of the essential uh use of your phone on a hunt and we've got a few points we want to cover off we're going to talk a little bit about navigation apps mapping satellite imagery communications and then you know obviously you know video and and um and uh you know photos is is a part important part of it and uh you know scrabble whatever else you want to play in the when you're sitting freezing your ass off waiting for podcasts <laughs> podcasts when you're grinding up a hill or something yeah totally totally okay so so that's what we're gonna do um but first off, we should give folks a little bit of an update. So we are somewhere in, you know, BC, late season, mule deer hunting, kind of, we're in actually some pretty nice fir forest here. And, uh, and we're looking for mature four point bucks. And, um, so far, how's your hunt been, Adam? It's been pretty good. We've seen quite a few deer. We've had kind of mixed conditions. We've had some days of a little bit crunchy snow, some days of a little bit quieter snow. So it's made some of the still hunting either really good or really tricky. Um, had a few spot and stock sort of setups. Um, generally seeing some deer, but not not the deer we're looking for just yet. So, Yeah, for sure. I, I This is a spot that we actually came here, we were exploring back in October when it was, we were in the heat wave. And so our normal uh, mealier spot was just deerless because the deer hadn't moved in there so it's a, basically a winter range spot where anticipate deer moving out of their summer ranges up in the alpine and migrating down to their winter ranges um in lower elevations and so southern exposures and such and and uh so we actually spent the better part of that october trip since there was no deer around we just sort of explored new spots and we ended up driving down this way and getting um into the timber here we actually found some deer but more importantly we found this like patch of like beautiful fur that um holds some deer it's in a neat spot it's kind of a hard to get to spot and offers some pretty exceptional still hunting so i was eager to come back here and just see what it was like when maybe the deer had shown up and uh so that's what we're doing and so far first day we were out there it was just the noise yeah the snow was too noisy to really see deer there was lots of sign of deer but only saw i think yeah we probably saw 20 deer maybe between the two of us and most of them which were running away today was a little better um i i had a tough day i i, I went down to a spot where i was like thought for sure i was uh, uh, we'll talk about e-scouting right in a bit like how important you know topography topographic maps and and digital imagery as well i, I saw this spot which had the perfect combination of you know, slope, 
and tree cover and i thought and him difficult access to i was like oh this is going to be like like deer heaven like still hunter heaven beautiful old fur you know like bordering on grasslands oh this is gonna be great and spent all the first half of the day trying to get to it and then got the wind right to get through it and uh shit it was like it was just a quagmire of awfulness for like the next three hours of my life as I tried to pass through it, it was like those big, well, you know, like those bouldery spots that you run into. Totally, yeah, yeah, and, like and man-sized boulders. <laughs> man-sized boulders with snow on top, and like, but it was just continuous for like, like probably three, three kilometers. Just well, and I got caught and kind of caught in the middle of it. I got into it, and I was like, just trying to pick your way across snow-covered boulders for ever. Like all of a sudden, there's no deer tracks, so you know that like. You know, it's a good rule of thumb. If there's no deer tracks there, then that means don't go there. <laughs> That's the one benefit of the snow on the ground, for sure, right? You know if you're totally out of it. Mm-hmm. So that, that awful combination of trying not to fall and just knowing you're not in deer country anymore. <laughs> yeah, not in deer country anymore at all. Oh, it was awful. So, anywho, um, ended up, uh, yeah, getting finally fought my way out of it. I, I did something that's good. I, I think, and it's something that if you're still hunter that you should, you know, it's important to take kind of like breaks to rest up because still hunting takes a little bit of energy. Like it's a lot of, a lot of work to like, you know, just quietly, you know, it's, it's really inefficient way to walk cross country. Like you're something you're taking three steps, you're stopping, you're looking, you're not necessarily going in a straight line. You're going in the line that allows you to maintain the most cover as you go. Like, so you're kind of like zigzagging through the, you know, brush and you know trying to be quiet and, you know, maintain your cover and it's really inefficient and it's exhausting. So, I stopped and I had like a extended break. I was like, okay, I'm gonna have a little break. And I had a fire and I have this like, uh, I had a couple of jalapeno, cheesy jalapeno smokies. Mm. A friend of mine gave me, they're like, they're made with like 15 year old goat. Oh, nice. 13 year old goat, like incredibly old goat. And I like, but surprisingly good. Like a little, anyways, cooked that over the fire, had some cheese and some, um, and some pickles and uh, had like a good half hour break. And then I was all reset to, get going on my hunt and um once i got out of that quagmire and then um actually started to still hunt for like maybe finally yeah still hunted and, and had a bit of a screw up i actually i snuck up on a deer which i which i saw which was a was a spike buck and i kind of had been exploring this calling business like calling deer and i got this little grunt call that a buddy of mine swears by so i've been trying to see how deer react to it and this deer hadn't i hadn't, hadn't spooked this deer yet so i wanted to see what he would do if I grunted at him and, uh, and, uh, so he kind of just, he got curious for a bit and then he get kind of a little bit overwhelmed and he kind of walked away. So that was interesting. And then I, shit, I took three more steps and looking down on the next gully and there, there's handful of deer in that gully, including a mature buck, all kind of looking up the hill, wondering what this like grunting thing was at the top of the hill, all looking at me as I came over, looking down at them. I was like, oh yeah, didn't work out so well. So anyways, had a good look at the buck and Legal buck spotted, but uh, he didn't stop for a, a good shot. So, but that was exciting and lesson learned, you know. So, you know, never I have a le- I have actually a lesson that I have elk calling is I never ever 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 call unless you're ready to kill something. Yeah, when you brought up a good point too about taking the breaks, right? Like in still hunting, it's those times where you get a little bit tired and you lose focus, and that's the time where you're gonna make a bad call and step out into the open or just not be as aware as you should be. And that's when you blow it. Totally. Totally. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of was a bit of a mix of both of those things that happened with that buck today. Like had I been 
I was sort of on the rush to get back a little bit, so I probably wasn't as still hunty as I came up and over that little ridge, but probably more more so the issue was that like, yeah, like call it, man. As soon as you call, things are looking for you, right? And then that, you know, that's half the thing, like, like the still hunting, like <laughs> you're, you're trying not to be seen. And so as soon as you call, like now everything's looking in that direction and hundred percent, when I came over that ridge, there was all the eyes in that little gully were looking up over whatever's over top of that gully, waiting to see what comes over it. Yeah. Waiting for the big mean buck to come in there. <laughs> yeah. yeah and it wasn't a big mean buck. It was, you know, the eat wild Stanfield and, you know, <laughs> coming over the hill and, and, uh, yeah. And. No, oh, man, it's too bad. It was, it was just a, you know, probably a couple other, well, I mean, not that we need to get into it on the podcast, but yeah, there was, it was just, yeah, could have, could have, should have, would have, but hey, that's hunting, right? So on to the next thing. So let's talk about, um, uh, that's, that's where we're at hunting. I don't know, maybe if we have an exciting hunt tomorrow, we'll get back and wrap up the podcast with a update as we go here. But, but the, what I did want to just take time is, is yeah, talk a little bit about tech. So, so the first, I think the, the most important, important thing and i think this is a conversation i had before do you still bring a gps with you like a gps unit in you know it's not a dedicated gps but it's it's part of my inreach i have the the garmin 66i which does have mapping on it but to be honest it's more redundancy it kind of exists on it but i don't really use it the the phone has made it pretty pretty redundant yeah i think that was the first thing that i've like i finally let go of in terms of like i've always had a gps unit which I mean, it's full of awesome information from probably, I don't know, 20 years of packing these things around, but I'm ready to say without doubt that like your the GPS unit on your phone is, is super accurate. It's reliable paired with when any one of the navigation apps that's out there, um, is an excellent, um, uh, is definitely the way to go. And I, and I think provided that you have a battery management system for your phone. So for me, I have, um, a little rechargeable battery in my pack and on longer trips I bring a solar panel but I re- that that works for me and so I think I can shed my GPS unit from now on um but yes the the uh your unit there that so you've got the so when it's, you... it's an inreach and it's an inreach device so you know I I it kind of does it all but you know if it was you know I have an older Garmin that's just a mapping unit and that just it doesn't get used at all anymore now so um, yeah, so just because this is the, is the inReach device, which comes in all my hands with me, I, I'll still take it and it has the mapping. Um, and I've got a mapping chip in there for the province. So it's primarily just a backup. Now I, I rarely reference that at all for maps. So. Yeah. So, so for my system, the, I have an inReach as well, but I have the inReach mini, which is a, I don't know the size of, you know, it's a, but a couple of two inches, um, tall, and an inch or two inch and a half wide or something. It's a very small compact unit and it basically provides the antenna that communicates with the satellites and then Bluetooths to my phone and offers me the my communication to through the satellite system to to text back home and, and actually which has been really cool and this is sort of happening now that as everybody's sort of adopting the inReach technology now of texting is to be able to text your hunting partners. So we're able to so we were able to share locations between um, Adam and I on this hunt. And we we're hunting a pretty small piece of land and they we were up against property, private property. And there's also other hunters in the area. So it's been kind of nice being able to like share our location as we hunt just to, you know, ensure that we're able to have a hunt without t- walking over top of each other. And also like, you know, making sure that 
yeah, we're sharing information about other hunters in the area and stuff. So that's, that's been kind of cool. Totally. And a good peace of mind that if somebody did get a buck in a spot that you wouldn't be able to take it out by yourself, you'd easily be able to get help right to your location to, to haul it out of there. hundred percent. Yeah. And yeah. And, and like, we've always had radios like, and I think we're still have the radios. It's kind of nice to chit chat on the radios because you can get a little longer conversation on them without, you know, and, and maybe if you were like, there are, there's a bit of a late uh, latency or delay in the in-reach communication it doesn't, is instant. Sometimes it takes a couple minutes for, or, or even 15 or 20 minutes for a message to come and go. So like under, you know, emergency situations, like that in-reach is going to get the message out. It's going to get the message where it's got to go and it's going to receive the message. It might just take a few minutes or 15 minutes. Um, but it is sort of still nice. I, I think there's still a place for radios to chat. Um, and, uh, but man, I don't know, like if you want to shed a few ounces, like you can ditch the radio and just go with these inreaches and uh, it's a pretty powerful tool for, for connecting. Totally. All right. So we kind of hit con- communication for sure. I mean, obviously if you're in cell service, it's a whole other world. You can, you can chit chat on the, on the phone or text on the phone, which is a lot of fun. But, but really the, I think the one I wanted to touch on is, is the navigation applications options and um, what, so you, you, no doubt you've probably experimented or explored this a little bit. Where have you landed now in terms of the app that you rely on um, first and foremost for navigating in the woods? So I'd say there's probably there's probably two that I rely on. The heaviest I rely on would be would be Gaia GPS. Um, it's an app out of the U.S., not hunting specific, sort of um, navigation specific. Works on um, iO uh, Apple devices and Android devices. You can get it on your desktop. Um, so that's kind of been my go-to. I can kind of use it through all my devices, e-scout, drop pins, and then bring it right to the phone. Okay. So the foundational piece of this is that can you like, you can drop a waypoint and you can do a go-to function. Totally. You can drop a waypoint. You could drop them ahead of time. Um, so we talked a little bit about e-scouting. So, you know, in the case of a goat hunt that we did, you know, early at, at this season, we'd run a goat LH draw. Um, we did some e-scouting to figure out sort of where they were hanging out. We looked at some studies to know sort of roughly what drainages they were hanging out in. And we dropped some pins that allowed us when we went into this country, we could pull it up on the phone after dropping them on the computer and kind of use that in the different spots. It shares it with the account. So Okay, that's pretty neat. So this is actually kind of a cool thing that's just happened to me in the last couple of years because I, I, I use the iHunter app mostly now. Um, and iHunter has a like basically a desktop version of the same information that's on your phone. So I if I, so if I'm at, if I'm daydreaming, um, at home and I'm thinking about my next hunt, I'll, I'll bring up, uh, iHunter on my big Mac screen and it shows me all of the high res maps, but it's also got all my waypoints that I've dropped while hunting on my phone and vice versa. I can like you, what you've done, like you're saying that you've scouted a spot. You think this might be a good spot. You put a bunch of waypoints there and, and then you, can ground truth them out there in the field and those waypoints automatically um upload into your phone when when you're using the the shared account between your phone and your desktop application totally yeah so that's a huge innovation that really kind of makes things seamless now yeah absolutely or if you're trying to kind of do beef after a hunt if you had success or you didn't you're doing your little bit of post-mortem on the hunt how'd we do you know how could we have done better you can kind of look at it and see where your pins are and figure out how it all kind of came together, how the animals are using that piece of country, all that good stuff. You know, I sort of think about like, I, I've got some younger friends that are like entering this hunting world and they've got all this technology available to them. And 
and they're almost like reverse engineering everything because they're like I was out hunting with my friend Jay and he's got like he's like what about this spot and what about that spot and he's got all these pins that he's laid into his phone and I'm like looking at them I'm like I, I, like that doesn't make sense that doesn't make sense I know this country so well that we're in that we're hunting I'm like it's like but but he's taking this information from a computer screen and then like guessing all these spots that he wants to go hunting whereas like I go the other way I'm like I go there I'm like oh this is nice hit deary spot hunt here again and it's this opposite but i guess like given that there's this you know it's a whole different way of hunting now as you can kind of do it over a computer and then you know ground truth your hypothesis and totally and some some hunts you have the opportunity to put boots on the ground ahead of time or year after year but sometimes you know it's going to be just a general area you're going into and you won't know ahead of time so you do need to just e-scout ahead but yeah, I, I mean, can do either really? I guess so. Yeah, it's, it's sort of interesting, but I mean, it's certainly making things different, and, and it's opening up access for sure, and the little pockets that you know that those of us who learn learn to hunt without these tools, uh, yeah, our little pockets are yeah shrinking pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> the world is shrinking, and the world of hunting is shrinking. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. But hey, and it doesn't help when there's guys putting together podcasts on how to do this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, so I'm okay. So, so you, so you're using Gaia, yeah. Um, so okay, for the navigation tool, like aspect, what makes it sort of efficient for you in terms of navigation? For sure. So, there's a couple of things I really like about it. You know, like you said, you can drop a pin, use the go-to function on a basic sense. You can track a route. You know, so you can sort of know, okay, here's where I went, here's where I walked today. You can show your hunting partners. You know, kind of show where you know the the part of the country you walk through. Um, or if you're layering on, you know, for example, if you have a hunt and you know there's a trail somewhere, you could um, import that trail um, into the application. Um, if it's a GPS file, so then you could kind of roughly follow that trail if you knew something existed. Um, and the biggest thing for me, I find, is just the ability to layer on different pieces of information to get the most sort of holistic map um, for the information that you're looking at. So, for example, it might start with something like um, you can get Backward Mapbooks Canada um, on the app. So you can load that in there and then you start with maybe a world imagery like a satellite view on top and you can kind of toggle between what would be your topographic and road map you can toggle that between the satellite view and then you're starting to get a pretty good picture and then from there you know we'll sort of layer on other stuff as necessary maybe we'll layer on um you know a wildfire map you know we're looking for burns um you know for mule deer elk hunting um there's some ability to add in things like uh some fresh satellite imagery so you could add in Satellite imagery from the last couple of weeks. They're obviously taking space images every few weeks of the planet, which is pretty incredible. Um, so you can get some fresh imagery if you're maybe going into an area and trying to figure out what's So the this is kind of neat. Okay, so this is stuff that's actually kind of new to me. Uh, for one, this is like this two-week fresh um, satellite information. Like in my mind, where where this the information. So when I think satellite information, my go-to was Google Earth forever. And there was like satellite imaging going back to like 1995, going up to maybe 2005. And you would like, you could slide the little bar on the bottom and it would show you old stuff and new stuff. And you could see how many, it was actually kind of remarkable because you could like go to 95 and there's trees everywhere and you go to 2005 and they're all gone. <laughs> it's like, but, but, you know, being able to actually use like, you know, um, you know, real time data um, or, or, or imagery is, is kind of cool thing, but so the the part that's interesting about Gaia, I think, and I think that's where where Gaia has some some real functionality, things that are cool, is that it it really makes it easy to start with a base map, and that's what you were saying. You have a base map, which might be your topographic map, and that gives you their, your elevation and um, well topography of the area, and then 
and then you can add layers, which would be the 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 satellite imagery, which so you can see where the trees are, where the grasslands are, where the rivers are, and then you can. It gives you the ability to to like kind of um, raise the definition of one of the images over the other. So you can make the you can really brighten up the satellite imagery, For or sure. or you can brighten up the contour lines, transparency um, sort of. Yeah. 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 And then and as you said, there's a whole pile of other like map sets that are available. Uh, you know, right from fire maps to um, rain forecasts. Oh, there's a cool one we were looking at the other day. We were talking about this and preparation for where we're going on this trip the roadless and trailless area so they basically take all the roads and trails and then they'll kind of highlight an orange you know and it gets a darker orange the farther you get from the roads and the trails so if you're kind of a hunter that likes to get off the roads and go into spots where people can't get to with their four-wheelers and or trucks it's kind of a cool cool function so it's, yeah some amazing layers like it's, it's it's kind of endless really it's pretty neat how much stuff you can add on there the availability of the information and then again you can add it on your desktop or when you're out in the field you can have that same layer and cache it to your phone so you can access it um when you're out of cell reception yeah cool i, I think it's really cool and and so how easy is it to pull the different layers like into your into your phone um yeah so you know when when you we're in cell service you know if you when you got an idea of where you're going to go you'll i usually just pull up the layers and see what sort of useful information that gives me for the area and then once i find a couple layers i like um, you have a function to download those maps for that area. You can kind of draw out a boundary, download the maps. You know, it'll take overnight sometimes, depending on the file size. Especially the the space imagery stuff is pretty, you know, pretty chunky. Some of those files, um, but basically you can cache it all up, um, and then uh, yeah, you know, whatever apps usually are useful for that area will just have sort of loaded up. And theoretically, if you have a cell signal, you'd have access to any of those maps that are available. Um, within the program, but you know, primarily you're going to be in areas likely without a cell signal. So usually we just pull it up ahead of time, figure out what's kind of useful for our purpose for that area, cache it ahead, and then bring those in. Nice. Okay. Um, so, so my go-to for my navigation app is uh, the iHunter app currently, and I used to use a something called GPS Kit, which I really liked. It was a very basic um, mapping program, but I think you know, iHunter really adds a whole bunch of other, similar to what this happens here, that you've got multiple layers you can add into relatively easily. Um, it's got different map sets that are available, um, as well as some other functionality, such as being able to check the regulations, uh, which I which is handy, and then it talks about, you know, daylight hours. You can get a quick snapshot of the, the weather as well. And so it's got a, a whole bunch of information piled into this app. But the main function for me, what I was using it for today, which is, man, I was, I didn't know, but you but like I had a hard time going in a straight line today, like trying to get back to camp <laughs> relatively efficiently. It's all those little humps and bumps, hey? It looks like you got a contour line and then you start walking it and you get these little like 20 meter rises that don't show up in the 40 meter contour and it's just... No, no, yeah, totally, <laughs> not even close, yeah. Yeah. So you kind of like, you want to walk, you don't want to go over everyone, so you want to go around some of them because you're being lazy and then go... And, and tr tricky thing about going around stuff is that like, as soon as you start going around stuff, you really lose your bearing as yeah, to that where terrain push is a real issue. Hey, yeah, real yeah. train. Yeah. What do you call it? Train push. Train push. Like, you know, either for people or for game. You know, you can kind of see the way things like a game trail will converge through a location, and I think a lot of it's caused by what I'd call a train push, where you have, you know, some sort of a contour like a steep cliff or a bluff, or maybe just really dense timber, um, or like we talked about the boulder field today, stuff like that. It kind of makes you walk in a certain way 
kind of the same reason people end up in river bottoms when they kind of get lost you know they get kind of pushed into that piece yeah, of okay. terrain, right so yeah i like that yeah. i like that okay yeah so yeah lots of terrain push like you're like oh, it'll be so much easier to go through that little gap there than it would be to go over the top so you just take so you just veer off by you know third you know 10 degrees of your actual bearing yeah and then you take that 10 degrees off right you're not that far off but then and you go through the pass and then you look at the and then you think you're looking back kind of north again but you're actually looking a 10 15 degrees off and then you see another little gap that puts you off another 30 yeah. degrees and then next thing you know like i had a couple times today where i i was actually like i was like 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 100 degrees off 120 degrees off from where i was absolutely certain i was going like i was like looking at my phone and my navigation app and it was telling me to go the pretty much the opposite direction mm-hmm. And I was like, that doesn't feel right at all. <laughs> and I had to actually look at my real compass. Like I have a real compass because that's my grounding, right? Yeah. And I know where I am. I just need to like look at my compass and it says, well, it's telling me to go the exact opposite direction. Like I know that camp is north. So I'm trying, yeah, but I my gut says I want to go south here to kind of get north. But no, it doesn't make sense. Follow your compass, you know? <laughs> Speaking of all this navigation stuff, still have a compass in your pocket because totally. honestly, like, yeah, even your phone gets confused. Well, and a, and well, a paper map if you can manage it. <laughs> well, I, I think that what happens is that between you know your human sense and the phone and the information you have, like, you can you, you can really get yourself confused. And it's nice to have a very much a foundational piece of information that is the compass that says, you know, this is north, this is east, this is south, this is west. And then just know where your, your camp is relative to where you're hunting. And at the end of the day, if you just have to like look at your, hold your compass in your hand and walk north for a kilometer and a half, you know, eventually you're going to hit the road or camp and it'll get you out of any kind of mess you're in. But um, anyhow, I was going on about iHunter and iHunter, it's a, it's, it's a really simple tool for navigation and it does allow you to bring on different layers. I, I don't think it's quite as integrated as a software that you're using having said that i think what you're using is probably a, how much is this gaia system it's a it, you know it's about 40 bucks a year give or take does it give you access to all of these layers it does yeah for that you can get access to some stuff without the pay version um, but if you want all those layers you know some of the stuff that we were talking about um, and some of it's even BC specific, which is interesting because it's a big American company. So far as I know, there's even limited entry zones and management zones for BC. So they've obviously brought a bunch of this in, but it's about, I think it's about 40 bucks a year, give or take. Yeah. Okay. So, and then, oh, that's the, 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 the big one for BC is the private land layer. And that's, right. that's one of the things that I hundred does a really good job of is they make, um, the, the crown land layer and the private land layer. So as a hunter, you can. In addition to having using your navigation app and your mapping app, you can know where the private land is in terms of your hunt. Um, and I think it's a, I think it's a relatively cheap subscription. So I think, I think you can get on iHunter for like ten bucks a year. Gives you a navigation system, your mapping, and the private land layer, and the ability to load up other maps. So it's a fairly, it's a great entry level, simple starting point for how to do this stuff. And I, and I. I think I, I think it's been great. We we teach all of our um, because it's it's such an accessible tool. We we we've kind of built both of our um, our hunter field skills workshop around this as a learning tool, um, as well as some of our other workshops where we're we're taking people out in the field. Just just getting people like getting folks on comfortable with the idea of like dropping a pin when you leave the truck, drop a pin when you leave the truck, like and and being able to navigate back to that pin and it's like 
even that's a learning thing and then lots totally. of folks are like it's like, and then people are like love it because they're like wow yeah. i feel so much more comfortable in the woods like <laughs> <laughs> and it, you know like you said that that's a great fundamental and that's you just you know when you're messing around with these applications you know just give it a try you know go go hit a local trail you know and and drop a pin at your vehicle or somewhere along the road and just see how it uh see how it kind of lines up with some of the train features and stuff and that's a great way to get comfortable with it yeah okay so so i think for navigation i would say strong vote of some like i mean i think I'm excited, and and I think I mean it's funny for a guy like me who spends, you know, sixty days a year doing this stuff. Like forty dollars a year is not a big deal. I mean, I'm a, I'm I'm still like I, I should really like hit up the guys at iHunter and be like, hey, you should give me a subscription. I think because I sent a lot of people your way <laughs> just so I can save the ten bucks. Right. You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> but on the other hand, I'm like even without any buddy deals, you know, forty dollars a year to you know have all this information that's available in your phone to, to help make your hunt more efficient, more safer, you know, and ultimately like put all this information together and it, you know, makes for better hunts. Right. So I don't know. I think it's worth it, but I think, you know, I give a strong vote to the iHunter app just cause it makes it simple. It makes it accessible. Yeah. And, um, all right. Um, now I have to say, this has been a problem for me. Okay. So we talked about navigation. To, like topographic maps on phones has been a kind of a hard one for me to um and maybe again this is this is my old school that's coming through but i i like i learned to hunt with a topographic map in the truck or in my bag right so i interpret the entire like my whole landscapes by the bc one to fifty thousand topographic maps yeah and maybe that's just like irrelevant information now like because i think there's the, the, the big difference, like, I guess, I guess the big difference is that like when I looked at a map and I, I know how far and, you know, from, from this location, to this location, I can be like, oh, that's like, well, you know, it's three kilometers, but just by looking at the map spatially, I know how far that is and how far I can hunt in a day. I can also look at the topographic lines on a BC one to 50,000 map and know whether that's an an accessible or inaccessible area based on how tight those contour lines are together. So because it's a standard size, I can interpret that information really easily. Now on your phone, everything's scalable, right? Mm, so you zoom can zoom in and out. Yeah. You can zoom in and out. So all of a sudden the distance between contour lines changes. And all and now all of a sudden the information is irrelevant to me because I can't visually see how steep that is because i can't tell how far apart those contour lines because they if you zoom out they get tighter if you zoom in they get wider right wider is chill like you closer together is steeper right so i don't know if it's just i'm only only person that's dealing with this problem that of uh, because it's not a standard map set so the, the solution for me has been an app called like topo uh topo maps canada and uh it's got all of the one to fifty thousand maps uploaded into this app mm -hmm. and i can look at them on my phone mm -hmm. and then i can scale them to about the size that i would look at when i'm looking at a one to fifty thousand map and i could be like ah okay i understand now <laughs> familiarity <laughs> familiarity <laughs> so maybe this is just a problem for me but there is an app like i said it's called uh yeah topple maps bc and uh and you can get topographic maps and you can get each each the each each of the bc one to 50,000 maps uploaded into it 
and the, and I think it's like I think I bought it for fourteen bucks, you know, at some point in my life, and it's now it's just available to me. The plate maps, basically a digital version of those. Digital version of the plate map, like what you would see on a coffee table in Dylan's house if right. you were. And now that may be completely irrelevant to the new hunter. Well, I will say you can you can get them in Gaia. They have they have those Navcan apps in there, um, and it's a plate map, and it's it's sort of geolocated. So when you when you layer that map on there, um, it will show you in reference. And that is one of the ones, and it's a good point that you make. It's one of the ones where the scale doesn't change as you zoom in and out. It's more of a static image, but it will, um, like the other app that you were just talking about, there it will allow you to see where you're at in reference to that. Okay, interesting. So. Okay, so now you've just, just given me a new... See, again, I'm learning stuff from you. It's great. So I can get those maps and load them into the same mapping pro program. So right now I jump from this app, but from my iHunter app, over to those. Now, I'm curious, too, like I, when I have talked to the iHunter guy, it, like there, it does offer the mechanisms to upload map sets if you can get access to them. The Actually, the best map set that you can get access to, and you can, which I would... is There's, the, there's a BC 1 to 20,000 map set that's available publicly. So if you go to, if you just Google BC one, like a colon uh, 20,000 map set, then you get this access to um, a really, really nice high definition uh, topographic maps for all of BC. And it gives you the opportunity option. Like this, if you're on your desktop, you can look at them on your desktop. You just, you just look at the there's a big map of BC and you click on the quadrant of BC. You're going to go hang out in, and then you can, download that map and look at it and it's a like i said it's a 1 to 20,000 so it's a little bit higher resolution than the 1 to 50,000 that i'm kind of comfortable using but these are really nice high detail maps and those you can get uploaded into your phone as well and i imagine the gaia app will allow you to upload them yeah um i used to use a a map viewer called avenza maps mm, and i've used that before too yeah and i believe it's now obsolete now cuz cuz say Gaia or iHunter will allow you to import other maps if you have the web address of the map location and then you can upload it. Yeah, for sure. All those you can you can grab that web address and some of them you run into a couple issues, you know, but there's a lot of people too that are making custom map layers too that either sell them or they put them out available for free that you can just sort of grab and import. We're looking at one today that, you know, has both um contours and some relief map stuff on it so you know sometimes you can see a bit of a hybrid of, of mapping as people put it together so yeah yeah cool yeah okay so 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 i think that the the, the places to look at a great place to look at topographic maps is that bc1 to 20 set like i said just google that and you should be able to pull it up it's a it's a british bc government map set that's available through the bc map store and it should be free um and it's just great to see. I, I actually download all those maps into my phone. I've actually put them into a, into my, um, my Dropbox basically on my phone, so I have them. Um, but the the important part is to be able to view them in a map viewer that then geo references them. Mm-hmm. So that actually puts you on the map rel- it relative to that, to that map. So um, Gaia or iHunter will allow you to do that, or Avenza Maps or any other map viewer will actually put you on those maps but that like i i just liked having that like because the clarity like one of the things that happens with these different map sets that we're using particularly like the go-to with any of these you know whenever we're looking at these imagery we're often looking at um the 
satellite imagery, the photos of the landscape, because it's just because it makes the most sense. You're like trees here, grassland here, river here, um, and you're here. But it's so important to know the contours <laughs> that are there because <laughs> it really is deceiving. And that those flat imagery doesn't show you that. Um, so having some contours, you know, really tells you the whole story. And then the reality is when you're looking at, you know, uh, a digital image over contour, it doesn't, it just, those contour lines don't bite enough into the image. Like you just don't really see it. It's like me again, maybe it's my old brain that just sees it a certain way. But like, I think, I think it's important to look at the landscape through the lens of, the, of a topographic map, just to know what's going on in totally. terms of how the land is shaped. And then that's your baseline. And then you can add in digital imagery over top to try and understand what type of ground cover is there, what type of vegetation is there. But if you skip the point of looking at the actual top uh, topographic contours of the area, you're really missing the most important piece. And I well, here's a, here's a great example. I think that's an awesome point. And you know, I think of whitetail hunting, for example, where you know a lot of it is looking for you know the funnels and pinch points that they move through. So if you have if you can layer on the timber layer, and then suddenly now your contour layer, you can see that nice gully that's all super full of timber. What a great spot to go sit in, still hunt through, set up a stand in, where you're probably going to have deer moving through there in a terrain feature like that, right? So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it, it's the like yeah, that's that's all. Well, yeah. <laughs> so what I what I was alluding to this getting this quagmire today, like all of this was like perfect topography, perfect like ground cover assessment, um, even boots on the ground to the point where I was like I I hunted the patch of forest next to it thinking oh this is going to be real good when i finally get it there but you know what like no mapping software no topography will tell you that there's like human-sized boulders like <laughs> for three kilometers straight here be misery <laughs> yeah, here be misery right here yeah yeah okay so okay that i think that we covered that and i think i mean again i i just want to just emphasize the importance of you know you don't lose sight of the importance of a topographic map and getting comfortable with how they work. And at our Hunter Field Skills Workshop, we spent a lot of time with with topographic maps and just, just you know, establishing that, you know, comfort and understanding with folks. Um, okay, so what I want to talk about is the best available satellite imagery. So, you know, part of part of this stuff is to like, you know, you, you know we're, we're definitely using satellite imagery a ton here to see where the grasslands are, where the breaks are, where the, where the pockets are of forest. And like you said, the gullies and such, what are you, what's your go-to satellite imagery bank that you get the most, um, information from? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I'll usually do it in two spots. I'll layer it into the main, um, mapping app that I'm using, say Gaia, you know, so you can use it as a layer in there. And what I've come to really love, um, for the ability just to manipulate the map, move it around, change the perspective I find is really useful is fat map. Um, and they have a, they have a great job of making the maps not too large so you can cache them without too much difficulty onto your phone for offline use. So you can take a huge swath of land that you're going to say be hunting in, um, download them for offline use. They, They really package them up nice and small, those maps. Um, you have a great level of, of detail. They seem to be fairly current satellite images. Um, and it's kind of a bit of a hybrid between that and a relief map, I guess you could say, because you can see the actual, not contour, but the shape of the land. It's kind of like if you could picture, um, 
sort of like a 3D uh, digital rendering of the land, all the mountains and valleys and, and everything. And then you, you take the satellite image and lay it on top so you can manipulate the map and see how that satellite image fits with the actual shape of the country. Yeah, I I really, when Fat Maps came online, I mean, it's maybe been around for five years now, I think, that the program, and uh, there's still a free version out there. I think they're really trying to funnel you into paying for it now. I, I, for whatever reason, I've got an old link that allows me to still access it for free, and it's and from my desktop, you can really see like if you're if you're if you're e scouting for you know alpine hunting in in northern BC or it, it's often the best resource for really seeing um, you know the terrain cover plus you know and it gives you you know like, like Adam said like the you get a real idea of of, of the terrain as well a topography. In, in the program, there's some really cool layers as well that like show you, um, you know, aspect and relief of the different countries, uh, different pieces of country. Yeah. Um, like there's one that I really love. It's like, this is basically a steepness map, a steepness hot map. Yeah. That you can layer over top of the area. And like, it's like, if it's like hot, if it's, if it's bright red, then you can't go there. If it's green, it's good to go. If it's yellow, it's steep. And if it goes up to, you know, orange and red, it's, it's, it's not navigable. Right. Um, Hey, you're just looking at it right now for where we are. So as you, yeah. there's some, there's a lot of, there's a bit of green here when there's some real red down there and there. <laughs> there's your boulder field. I can see it. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, I should have looked at it on, on Oh maps. boy. Yeah, uh, that's a cool, you know what I like, I like about that one too is the flat, um, the flat section. You can, you can put a layer on there where you can see flat areas. So if you're trying oh, to find someone just a told spot to this. camp, yeah, yeah, it's kind of yeah. cool. Like if you're going to go, go up to some ridge that you're going to hang out on to, you know, say hunt goats or sheep or if you want to find some spots that are going to be semi-flat, it's kind of a cool way to, you can get it from a contour map, but this is kind of neat. They just sort of layer it on in a, in a green kind of overlay. Yeah. So this would be, this is a great application for when you're, yeah, like in the mountains and you're just trying to find a little relief where it goes, where you where relief from the steepness and it just like levels off enough that you might be able to pitch a tent and there's a little, little, little puddle of green on the map that says, Hey, maybe you can camp here. Yeah. So fat, fat maps is a great tool. Now, do you pay for the subscription? Uh, I have just because I, I think for caching them, if I'm not mistaken, you need to to pay for it. I think you can use it for free on your desktop. Yeah. Um, and then if you want to save them to your phone, and again, I want to say it's about ooh, 30, 40 bucks a year ish. Um, yeah. Can't remember exactly off the top of my head, but yeah. Yeah, Jenny, my hunting partner, Jenny, she she's a, she loves fat maps because she skis a ton, and mm. it's a great tool for skiing. So it's an easy win for her for both hunting and skiing. Um, Again, it's it's one that I haven't invested in, but it, I mean, I'd get so much out of it just from my desktop. Um, it's such a cool tool, and the, and the imagery is is second to none. Having said that, like I use multiple imagery sources. So, well, first off, I should mention that um, iHunter is just beta testing their own version of very similar mapping. Mm. So they they've brought in a, um, a what's well, like a three D mapping uh, set for for parts of bc and they're just beta testing and it's actually really cool so it's comparable to the imagery that um uh, fat maps is using and we'll see where that lands as they as they finish the beta testing um but there's other map sets that i you know some so sometimes when i'm when i'm looking for information on a hunt i'm ops i'm often looking at google maps like, like google earth maps and sometimes that's the best set sometimes the apple maps are the best set right sometimes the Fat maps are the best set, but not always, like one isn't always, like it's, it's often interchangeable. The other one that's interesting and that's worth a mention is uh, Bing maps. Mm. There's like, there's old photos. Uh, they have a photo set of BC. There's really high res photos for some of the 
river stuff that I do, it often is the Bing maps that are really like really like high res maps that I can start to con that I can then look down at a river and try to you know understand the any types of complexities in the river that I might be running um, ahead of time. So there's multiple sources that are worth you know when you're e scouting ahead of time uh, that you might find a little bit of information on. Um, having said that. You, you might be tied to whatever is available in your phone. And for, for iHunter, you've got access to, you know, Apple maps and you've got access to the Google maps and the, and then you could load in other maps if you can find them. And, for sure. No, I think you bring up a great point, especially when it comes to satellite imagery. It's not all created equal. And, you know, you could have just had a bad satellite day when they overlaid that one area that you're going to. So 100%. if you rely on that one, there could be a big bad cloud hanging over that piece of country and it's not useful to you, right? <laughs> big bad cloud. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> like the one we had today. <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Okay. So I think we, uh, on my list here, I had e-scouting, but I think we've kind of hit on that off the bat. We hit on e-scouting and we also hit on communication. I think um, there, is, there are some functionality. Again, iHunter, gives you the ability to communicate uh, if you're in service between iHunter users. So yep. you guys can share where your locations are and, and, and text in the app, which is really cool. Um, the next thing is regulations. And where, what's your go-to for regulation information? Yeah, you know, for boundaries, uh, guy will give you the management units or the LEH units. But if I'm going to just check, um, you know, what the actual season is, I'll either use iHunter or I still use Hunt Buddy a little bit for that. It's about all I use it for now, but you can drop a pin in the management unit that you're in and get, get all the regs. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, pretty simple. Um, again, yeah. So, I, I use iHunter. Um, but, you know, I'm a little bit of an, again, a Luddite, I'm old school. I kind of like reading the regs. So, you can access the regs through the, actually, there's another great app we haven't mentioned yet. It's the um, Eat Wild app. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but... Um, it's got all kinds of important information for adventures, um, uh, but uh, it has a copy of the regs in there. You can access just the actual PDF of it, and as well, you can get the PDF of. Uh, I, um, you need to laugh at my joke. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was letting you make your plug. I mean, yeah. I, I laugh in the middle of your plug. This podcast oh, no. is brought to you in part by. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, no, but the uh, yeah, you, you get access to it there. I mean, again. The uh, the iHunter app in all in all in all in all seriousness is um, what it does well. There's actually a couple things it does really well. Uh, it has access to a bunch of our videos that we've done, like all our how to hunt videos. So if you actually wanted to take um, a video of of you know how to gut a deer with Dylan in the field or how to debone a deer with Dylan in the field, you can actually download load that in the app and make it available offline in a relatively manageable file size. So you could be out here in without service and you could fire up. Dylan and you could you know, I could walk you through cutting up an animal right so that's kind of cool but the other one that people actually really like it for is the little bunch of gear lists in there so like my my day hunting kit my multi-day hunting kit and uh so yeah it's, it's kind of fun like that so you, you can take advantage of that and then lastly it's got access to my uh, it's kind of like um my my eat wild field guide to hunting and it's got some tips and on how I approach my hunts and it's kind of the yeah kind of cool so Definitely, eWild app does have a place on, um, yeah. Uh, I'm going to thumbs up the gear list. I like that. I use that one for sure. Yeah, that's the Resettable every, gear list. It's yeah, good. <laughs> people use it all the time. It's actually the one thing that it's like really well done by Mike and, and, and um, yeah, the, the gang that, that put that together. Um, yeah, totally. Um, 
Cool. Okay. A couple other things. Obviously, I mean, there's only two more things I had on my list here, which is like photos and video. Obviously, like, you know, these phones are just amazing because you can, you know, document stuff. But one of the things that I think is important and it gives us the ability to do this now is like, um, you can really do like, I, I've used my phone a lot for like telling stories of, of a situation that, and, and inevitably when you're hunting, like you kind of come up with, you know, there's situations that you want to document, whether it's like you've, you know, um, yeah, like you want to make sure like you, when you've shot an animal, you, you have to have evidence of sex and species and, and you want to, you got the, you know, cut the tag. And it's like, I, I take photos of that kind of stuff now because I like to have that as evidence of sex and species and cutting the tag. And, and just cause like, you know, if you had a mistake along the way where the, tail falls off which has happened to me like you sure. know keeping the tail attached is difficult like it's tricky. I, it's tricky i've got to actually just speaking of which i just put a video out on how to keep how to skin out the deer and keep the tail attached and with having lessons learned um but you know it, you know you you have this great tool um you're you're you're, you're in the process of you know doing you know, when you're hunting you got to like make sure that you're demonstrating you're meeting the um you know, the intent of the regulations as you go through and, and, and documenting that a little bit as you go, uh, certainly doesn't hurt. Um, you know, if you ever found yourself having to have a conversation with a conservation officer where you've lost your license, say, or your tail's fallen off the deer, like, but Hey, at least I've documented here. I'm doing my best to, you know, totally tell the story. I've Uh, heard stories of people, you know, taking an animal out or they take out as much as they can in one pack load They leave the rest of it in the tree to come back and get it. Mr. Bear comes and snacks on it. And then they've gotten stopped by the CEO and he says, where the rest of your edible portions? And it's like, well, well <laughs> it was here and now it was not. So that can happen, right? No, no. And that's, yeah. a gra- that's exactly what I'm talking yeah. about. It's exactly. Yeah. It's a great example. I mean, like just, you know, documenting yeah. this, you know, because it makes it easier for the CEO. It makes it easier totally. for you. Yeah. And it's just so available. I mean, like, why wouldn't you just, you know, do a quick snapshot of stuff as you go? And just so you're, you know, keeping, just imagine being in front of a judge, having to tell the story and be like, this is the story and you can show them and, and it makes it easier for everybody along the way. And yeah, totally. Um, cool. I mean, that was the heart of what I wanted to kind of touch on. We're at 51 minutes on the, on the podcast machine. Uh, what other, what other apps are like, as you flip through, do you, do you find yourself going to on your, on your phone? You know, we, we touched a little bit on the inReach thing. You know, I've found that's just been really useful for, um, you know, using Garmin, you can layer some stuff. They have a they have a myriad of apps. They got a bit of a complicated uh, sort of structure for using some of their interface, but um, some of the apps you can sort of, when you see a message get sent to you from your hunting partners, you can see exactly where they are. Um, that, that's kind of useful for a pin. Um, you know, if you've got an animal down, you got to bring somebody right to your location. Um, that can be very useful for the out of touch area. Um, one that I've been playing around with a little bit, I haven't used a ton, but I've been messing around with it a bit in the last year is called What Three Words? Uh, kind of a fun one. Um, it's not the three words you might think, um, but it's basically they've taken the entire globe and they've divided it up into, I believe, three meter squares. And each three meter square has three English words that meet up that square. Um, and the thinking behind this is that you could have your hunting buddies or whoever have this app on their phone. And if they type in those three words separated by a period, they will get the exact three meter square that you're located and you're trying so, to tell them So about. it's basically a coordinate for your location. Yeah. Essentially, it's a coordinate, but um, in the way of uh, English words. The thinking may be perhaps if you're just in radio contact, let's say, you're not using your inReach, you need to give somebody your location instead of reading them a 16 or 19 digit uh, GPS location. Well, I love this because I'm right. dyslexic, right? So when you, you give me you give me 30 like numbers, I'm like, <laughs> my brain shuts off, right? Well, on the radio, you can't even hear it either. It's terrible, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. So this is interesting. So so you can actually, so you can just be like, you know, 
Tango Delta Charlie, and I'm like, oh, I'm okay. This is where we are, right? Or totally. Yeah, and it's pretty amazing. They, they, I guess, there's enough English words to make it work for the entire globe. But um, I think they're less than eight letters each, or something like that. I can't remember exactly their their structure, but it's kind of kind of fun. Where, um, yeah, you could give somebody a very specific location. It's just more precise than say a Google Maps pin, um, perhaps for the exact location. So, um, and what else have we used? We talked a little bit about you know sharing locations with people. We've used um, WhatsApp groups when you're in a cell signal. You can share your location WhatsApp. That kind of oh yeah, yeah, well we too. do that's that. Kind of fun. Yes, yeah, so yeah. we have a big fam jam hunt you know in, a, in an area that's that's in in cell service um near the sunshine coast and yeah it's great to be able to track each other and yeah. on, on the whatsapp and just like check in throughout the day it makes for kind of a fun you know chatting away and when you're sitting in your stand you know you could throw out some some jokes to your crew and get some responses yeah that's totally fun um i'm just looking i'm just looking at my, my a couple couple ones that i use regularly in addition to those navigation apps um uh i use uh there's one called Peak Finder. I like that one. Oh, yeah. Because I'd like to just to know all the names of the mountains around me. That's pretty fun. Um, the Adventure Smart app is a good one, too, if you're for you know planning any trips. Uh, it, it's a great way of doing a trip plan super efficiently and sharing it with other folks. Um, I love that. I do. I use that app for, for some of my expeditions. Um, and the other one that I should give a plug to is uh, so the, the wildlife biologists up north put together a BC moose um, app. So it's like, if you're out and about and you see a moose, um, and you can just open up the app and plug in the location of that, of that sighting. And, um, it submits that information back to BC biologists, which is an awesome way of like being able to do some citizen science, like data collection in the field. And hopefully that's, um, yeah, getting, starting to stack up some data. There's also a, I think the BC wildlife federation has like a, um, an app to report offenses as well, yeah. um, which is kind of a handy app as well. So anyways, but I think, I think the, the nut of what we we're trying to talk about is just, you know, kind of where to invest your learning right at this point in terms of navigation apps and what to build on. And, um, I think for us, I think is a strong vote for the, um, the Gaia map system and the, uh, and the iHunter app system. I think that's the, the place to go now. Yeah. And I'd say just download them, give them a try, mess around with them, see what makes sense to you, see what the interface kind of is, you, you sort of user-friendly for yourself. You know, the thing that you're going to be comfortable with is the one you're going to use proficiently, right? So. Right on. What's for uh, dinner tonight? Ooh, a little bit of uh, whitetail steak, I think, huh? Yeah. We had, uh, we had a little bit of morels left. Got some whitetail from last week's whitetail. I think we're going to have some of... Um, the West Coast Kitchen. They got a new uh, dish out, which is pretty good. It's their pesto, pesto pasta. It's like not like a yeah. It's 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 really nice. Um, so we're gonna have steak and pesto pasta, some morels. I think we got some um, lovely rosé wine left over. Which we'll drink that and then um, yeah, it should be a nice dinner. So and then tomorrow we'll see what unfolds in Mule Deer Country. We got another couple days here of hunting around I think the conditions are going to go shit here it's going to freeze solid overnight so <laughs> i don't know what we're going to do but um remains to be seen but if we anything exciting happens we'll check back in on the podcast sounds good let's do it okay adam thanks for doing this yeah thanks for having me it was fun yeah right on i really love podcasts where i learn something and it, it's great to have this platform because i get to have these sort of extended conversations with folks who are super knowledgeable about something they're passionate about. And uh, I enjoyed that conversation with Adam because, again, I, I'm, I'm learning from 
from him and uh, got some new new things to check out for sure. And I, I hope you enjoyed it too. Super well-spoken guy and I appreciate him taking the time. So if you're, sta- if you're hanging around, you're probably wondering what happened on the hunt. So we were really dealing with tricky snow conditions as we mentioned in the podcast. So there was like, uh, there was some fresh snow. We rolled up. We thought, oh, this is going to be great. And I think we had a little bit of a chance to sneak around and uh, uh, on one of the days there where it was quiet enough, the snow, snow was just so tricky because it gets, if it's um, right, fresh snow is probably the best because it hasn't set up yet. It doesn't create, it doesn't develop any firmness or crunchiness. Um, but as it either gets more uh, dense or it warms up, and the worst is if it warms up and then freezes, and then you've got this like heavy duty crunch. But for the most part, snow is a real killer for a for a still hunter who's trying to sneak around and be quiet. And uh, so we definitely had the what the worst of the conditions, which was the heavy crunch uh, kind of snow. Um, so we woke up after that podcast, and and we 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 went out in the morning, you know, well before light. It was as we expected. We had a bit of a warm warming trend, a little bit of rain, and then it froze up. So it was the worst conditions for sneaking around. And like this, this trip was like, as we mentioned, it's mainly focused on, on still hunting in the timber and it was proving to be ineffective. So we opted to go for a bit of a, a sightseeing exercise. We went actually back to another area that I'm quite familiar with, uh, within about an hour's drive, but it's much more of a spot and stock type location where you can see longer distances and the hope was maybe we could see something bedded down and then we could try and get to within range of it and at least we'd have a a hunt plan that was at least possible because hunting the timber in these snow conditions was basically impossible it was basically just wandering around with a bit of a waste of time we had made this plan to go to a basically a spot and stock location and uh and we we headed in that direction and uh we went about this hunt plan that we had, we had, and we ended up getting some, some pretty good view areas, but where we ended up was in a spot that I was glassing the area that I was hoping there'd be some deer. And there, and there, of course there weren't, but I was looking back across, uh, back across the river, basically a great distance away. Uh, and there was two really special bucks bed, uh, well, hanging around actually, and, and bedded down, um, in this open grassland country and they were special deer and and i you know these late season hunts i mean generally like you know the freezer i've already i've already got a couple deer in the freezer so i'm kind of excited just to have an adventure here and i'm kind of excited to have an opportunity at seeing a special deer and and there's were two very beautiful very special deer that are very far away from us so we're maybe 10 o'clock or something maybe a little bit earlier in the day and I messaged Adam, I said, I've, I've spotted two deer, but they're, they're really far away and they're, looks like they're on private land, but you should go look at them anyways, just cause they're so neat. And he was up on another glass and spot, not too far away. And my intention was for, for him just to have a look through the spotting scope at them. And as I'm sitting there looking at them and watching them and I, and I'm looking at my phone and I, and I'm using the iHunter tool to try and figure out exactly where they are in reference to the um the landscape so i'm looking at the map and as i'm kind of breaking down the terrain features that they're in and i'm kind of trying to like basically put a pin in my phone as to where i think they're located it it's apparently that that they are on public land Uh, and so i'm as i sort of cross-reference the different information that i have 
I'm sure they're on, on public land. So that's, that's exciting. So I'm like, whoa, well, those are special deer early in the day. They're uh, far away, um, but they are on public land. So I, I messaged Adam back. I said, hey, Adam, like, have a look with your tools and see if you can figure out if those deer are on public land or am I just wishful thinking here? And he messages back and says, yeah, they're on, they're on public land. And we both text back to each other at the same time saying, let's go for it. Let's see if we can get there. Now to get there, we literally had to go back to the truck. We had to completely move our location. We had to get to the other side of the river and then we had to navigate, um, along about five, we had figured it was five kilometers from the road access to where these deer were hanging out. But the tricky part was, is there was, there's several, uh, private property, um, boundaries that you had to stay on the crown land side, as well as some significant terrain features, such as, um, like just cliffs and gullies that may or may not be passable. So we ended up getting together and got, we kind of got the hunt was kind of a blowout that we were on anyway. So we got, we got, we ended up rendezvousing on the trail to get back to the truck and we had a larger assessment and we kind of ended up using, I think three or four different apps to assess if we figured we could get from the road access point and basically follow contours to stay outside of the private property, but also staying, you know, uphill of these terrain traps that were, basically or could be impossible to navigate and we used i think yeah we definitely used the iHunter app for the property boundaries we used the um my, my topographic map set set to help identify the navigability of some of these uh, the train traps and then we used a lot of the digital imagery um from uh from the gaia map program to just try to like figure out if it was possible so based on our analysis we're like well it's it doesn't look promising but it's possible so we went for it and we ended up crossing some terrain we had some tricky gullies to cross we had we were able to stay like obviously on crown land the whole time we actually got to within a kilometer of where these deer were bedded down but we basically got cliffed out and the, the only option for us would have been to sort of deke on to the private property for 50 meters or so to get around this one terrain feature that was otherwise not navigable. And obviously that's not an option for either of us. And um, so we ended up just having a heck of a hunt. We ended up bouncing all kinds of deer on the way in there too. So we sure had a good hunt and had a lot of fun and uh, figured out, you know, where it's possible to get to. So out of all that, we realized, well, these, these deer are, are probably safe from, from hunters for sure. And, uh, and, but on the way there, we actually found another spot that next time we come back there, we know that we can get to that spot and there's deer there. And if we come back again, we'll hunt it properly and not just blow through it trying to get to the this destination point. So that's a great example of using those tools and doing that sort of e-scouting in the field to figure out if you can, you know, say go after, you know, some deer that maybe look pretty far away. But anyways, it was an awesome hunt. And just to like... Yeah, we, we, that really, really capped out our hunt. We, we didn't end up killing a deer on this hunt. We, uh, that was kind of the, we had one more day in the, in the, in the woods, I think after that. And again, we just, it just wasn't really productive hunting because of the snow conditions. So, um, this was, this was the cap for us and it sure was a beautiful day and just to, yeah, kind of push yourself 
we already had, had a we probably knocked off 10 kilometers before we set out on this expedition and then to add another 10k halfway through the day was a uh, was a big huff but felt great after and yeah we're, we didn't have the energy to pick up the podcast machine and tell you all about it then but did my best to relay it here so anyways folks um yeah hope that was fun and hope you learned something and yeah eat well eat wild talk to you later Hey folks, I hope you enjoyed that podcast. Now, we'd love to hear from you. So drop us a question either on our Instagram or email me directly at dylan at eatwild.ca and we'll do our best to answer that question on our future podcast or we might even build an entire podcast based on your questions. So thanks for doing that. So if you want to hear more from Eat Wild, you can come join us. We're doing a series of Eat Wild Learn to Hunt webinars. So we're getting together on a monthly basis, talking about all things hunting with a group of mentors through a webinar format. There are tons of fun. Come join us there. Now, if you happen to live in the Vancouver, British Columbia area, we do in-person workshops where we get together, learn fundamental skills for you to be a better hunter. Hope you can hang out for one of those too if you happen to be in the area. Now, we'd love it if you could leave a review or a comment wherever you listen to your podcast. That'd be a great help to us. And more importantly, share this podcast with folks who care about the stuff we're talking about. So thanks for doing that. Until next time, eat well and wild. Well.